And the Boston Frank, I guess, is because I come in the way in Greater Boston. I've been in AA for many years. I've heard a lot of important things. But the thing that really stuck out in my mind right from the first time I heard it is that we have to keep this program very simple. It's been said that Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob's name has been brought up here. I'm not a name dropper, but it's been said that on his deathbed, he said to Bill Wilson, Bill, if you keep it simple, it will work. And ever since I heard that, I followed them rules in AA. I keep it simple. And it works for me, and it's been working for many, many years. Everything I say here tonight, by the way, this is my type of a group. I can feel it already. You know, a lot of times you walk in the rooms, I've done this many, many hundreds of times, and you get a feeling that you're not comfortable. And that's happened to me, but I feel very comfortable here tonight. My first, my last drunk lasted two and a half years. I ended up in the south end of Boston on the skid row, and I laid down there in the filth, sucking on wine bottles for two and a half years, bumming nickels and dimes, sleeping in all-night movies, hot automobiles, wherever. But the thing I want to impress upon everyone here tonight is that I didn't plan that. I didn't plan on ending up in Skid Row in Boston. The reason it happened is that I refused to believe it could happen. I refused to believe there was anything on the face of the earth that could beat me to my hands and knees. I refused to believe that alcohol was as powerful as it is, and it took everything I had. It took my health, my wealth, my sanity, my freedom, my dignity, my self-respect. Anything and everything that you and I hold dear and dear to us, it took from me. It always wasn't that way. I spent most of my life taking good care of myself. I was a strength and health guy for many, many years. My health, my appearance was the most important thing in my life. I took good care of that. And I drank, but alcohol was not a problem. I was always in very much in control of my life. The first time that I had a problem with alcohol to anyone, including myself, was I was in New York, in the city. I was at a party. I went in the horrors, the DTs that I turned out later to know. And they took me to the Knickerbocker Hospital and they were treating all kinds of guns and, and knives and, and I was a drunk an alky they treated me a little bit differently because I was all dressed up the people that brought me to the hospital were well to do people so the doctor there gave me a couple of shots in the arm he gave me a bag of pills and told me to do something about my drinking problem now, I was very much in control of my life at the time, so I did what he told me. I quit drinking. I went down to Miami, got a set of weights, worked out in Crandon Beach, got myself back in top condition. I never really got out of top condition, but I got myself back in real good condition. And maybe a year went by, I'm not a counter, 
But maybe a year went by and I picked up another drink. It was no big thing. I didn't say, I'm going to take a drink. I've been sober 11 or 12 months. I just picked up a drink. Nothing really happened. Another year or so went by. I was in another state. And I got the same feelings one night that I got when I was in New York. And I knew what to do. Before it got to the point where I went into the horrors, went into the DTs, I drove myself to the Presbyterian Hospital in Philadelphia, and I told the doctor in the emergency room I had a problem, and I explained to him what was happening to me. And he again, he gave me a shot in the arm. Two doctors talked to me that night. They wrote me out a prescription for some pills, and they told me I should do something about my life with alcohol. This night, I get resentful. Now, in New York, I wasn't resentful. But I get resentful for these two doctors in Philadelphia. I should have known then there was something wrong. I should have known then I had a problem. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got resentful. But nevertheless, I took their advice. I quit drinking. I was still very much in control of my life. I quit drinking, I went out to California, I went out to Muscle Beach, and I worked out there with weights for about a year. Got myself again in top condition. No big thing, no planned thing, no saying I've been sober X amount of months. I picked up another drink. I ended up in Boston. And I went on a drunk in Boston that I could not get off. If you had told me at any time in my life that I was going to take a drink that would put me on a drunk that I could not get off, I would have told you you were crazy. But I got on a drunk I could not get off. And every day I would say, tomorrow I will do something about this. One morning I woke up, a lot of the things that happened from that day until the day I came into AA, I don't remember too much about, but the things I remember are good for me. This morning I woke up, I was sick, as sick as I have ever been in my life. My face was swollen, my eyes were swollen, I was a mess. I had all the goodies that anyone in this room would care to have. I had a lot of money, Cadillac cars, diamond rings, tailor-made clothes, and I was the sickest guy in North America and didn't know it. But I knew I wasn't well. But I knew how to get better. All active alkies, whether you like it or not, are cowards. I was a strength and health guy all my life. I was as tough as any guy that ever walked the street. I was a street guy all my life. I knew all the rules of my of the street. And this morning I showed how much of a coward I was. I knew I needed help, but I turned to the drink. I knew the drink would get me better then. I was so sick I couldn't hold a cigarette in my hand. I looked in the mirror and I wanted to cry. I went in the other room. Now this is how powerful alcohol is. Within three hours, with the best alcohol you can buy, 
wasn't sick anymore. I looked in the mirror this time, and I looked like I was ready to go right to Hollywood, California and join in. Alcohol was beginning to destroy my brains, and I didn't know it. Three dollars worth of alcohol. And I went from a guy who was so depressed that he didn't want to look himself in the mirror to a guy who thought he was ready to put on tailor-made clothes and drive away. And from that day on, I tried to get off a drunk and I couldn't do it. Every morning I woke up and I drank to get better. Now here's the thing. It may be happening to you. It may have happened to you. Don't let it happen again. Every time I got better, I forgot how sick I was. And I drank again. And I'd wake up in the morning. And I'd be deathly sick. And I'd drink to get better. And when I got better, I forgot I was sick. All in the same day. That sick. The cars went, the clothes went, the money went, the rings went. Everything went. I wouldn't walk out of my house unless I looked like I stepped out of Lord and Taylor's. Couldn't do that anymore. I knew the street good. I made a bushel basket full of money with my brains on the street. I knew where to go, where people wouldn't say, Who are you? You married? You single? You don't look so good? You don't look so bad? I knew where to go. I knew this happened in the south end of Boston. I went down to the south end of Boston. They didn't ask me where I came from. They didn't ask me if I was married or single. All I wanted to know is, how much you holding? You got enough towards another drink. At that particular time in my life, it was Muscatel wine and 85 cents a bottle. And that's all they were interested in, and that's all I cared to be interested in. I didn't want to hear nothing. I didn't want to hear how sick you are or how bad you look. I was afraid to hear it. I was cowardly, just like any act of Alfie. They don't want to hear it. I knew there was an answer, and I didn't want to hear it. And I laid down there, and I sucked on them wine bottles day after day after day. And I'd get deathly sick. And I'd suck on an 85-cent bottle of wine and I'd get better. And I'd forget I was sick. That's sick. From your chin up, that's sick. It's happening. It's happened to people. Like you and me. It just don't happen to the guy in New York City, Rochester, Largo, Clearwater, Boston. It happens to people like you and me. Like you and me. It was destroying me. I wouldn't give in. I had a friend of mine say to me, Frank, you belong in a hospital. There was a guy who spent over half of his life in the gymnasium. I spent a bushel basket full of money on vitamin pills and the best food you could buy. The best clothes you could wear. I'm walking the streets in Skid Row. A guy tells me I belong in a hospital. And I'm saying to him, you can't put me in a hospital. I'm going to get better tomorrow. If a psychiatrist heard me talk, he'd have thrown a net right on me in the bug house. But they went around. I passed out on the street. They scraped me off the street. They put me in the hospital. They gave me up for dead. You know when you're supposed to die when the priest from your religion comes in and gives you the last rites. Here is the sick part about alcohol. I wasn't afraid to die. 
I was laying there and I was not afraid to die. That's sick. I didn't care. They had straps on me. I was completely bananas. I don't know how long, a week, ten days, whatever it was. One day, two guys from AA walked into the hospital. I don't know where they came from. I certainly didn't call them. I couldn't have called them. I never heard of AA. Can you believe it? I'm a grown man. I've been from Maine to Spain. I've done anything and everything you'd want to dream of doing. I never heard of AA. So you know how many years ago that was? Long time ago. And here's the classic one. I'm laying there. I'm a basket case. I can't hold a cigarette in my hand. I'm in the Yalki ward. And this guy says to me, you having trouble with alcohol? <laughs> if I could have thought to laugh, then I'd have laughed. But I, could, I was too sick. He said a few more things, and he said, you're too sick to talk to. We'll be back tomorrow. The next day, he came back again. I'm no better. I'm, I'm there. I know they're there. But I did say to him, what's AA all about? See, a bunch of guys and girls get together. They talk about their problem with alcohol. And they help each other, and they get better. He said, that's all I'm going to say. Get some rest. I'll be back tomorrow. He came back the next day. I'm not much better. I can hold a cigarette in my hand by now. The straps are off. I'm a very sick guy. But I knew. I knew they were from AA. And I knew they were coming back. And they came back. We talked some more. And I said to the guy, What do you know about AA? And he said, I got my AA in Walpole State Prison. So I kind of listened a little bit harder. I was a street guy. I knew all about the street. And I figured I'll listen to this guy a little bit more. As sick as I was. So he told me how he got his AA in Walpole State Prison, how long he'd been sober. And it was a very simple thing. He says, all you do is do what we do and maybe you'll get better. Now, it can't get much simpler than that. So he says, when you get released from the hospital, we'll pick you up, we'll take you to an AA meeting. Fair enough. I had nowhere else to go. I had the clothes that I had somewhere. I didn't have 15 cents to my name. I had no help, no brains. I had nothing. There were two total strangers want to help me. I got to go for it. They picked me up. They took me to a meeting in Harvard Square in Cambridge. It's a Monday night. I don't remember one thing about it except that they introduced me to a guy named John. That's all I remember. I have to tell you that because that's all I remember. The following night they took me to a meeting in Arlington, Mass. We walked in the door and they introduced me to a guy named Andy. They said, Andy, this is Frank. He's got a problem with alcohol. He needs some help. And Andy looked at me and he said, you got a problem with alcohol, and for the second time in my adult life, I admitted I need help with anything. First time was in the hospital when they asked me if I had a problem. And he asked me that night, he says, you got a problem with alcohol? I said, yeah. That's all I said, yeah, simply yeah. 
That was as complete surrender as you'll ever get out of me. <laughs> he says, if you want to get back, here's where it gets good. Pay attention. He said, if you want to get back, you do what I tell you. Standing right now. I looked at it. No one ever talked to me like that in my life. But I was afraid of him. The guy was 20 years older than me. I was afraid of him. I don't know, I was afraid of everything. But he was firm. Thank God for me, he was firm. He said, you go sit down front, and you listen as best you know how. It was a speaker meeting. So when the meeting is over, if you heard anything you don't understand, you tell me. And we'll figure this thing out. I didn't open my mouth. I didn't open my mouth for a long, long time. Every night, they picked, they got me a room. And then every night, they picked me up and took me to a meeting. And I sat down front and I listened the best way I knew how. Every night, they picked me up took me to another meeting. I sat down front and listened the best way I knew how. I was sick. I was scared. I have never, never had been scared in my life. I never was fearful of anything in my adult life until I got sober in AA. But that was pain I had to go through. And they told me right up front, they said, Frank, you're going to have to go through all this pain and agony. I said, I can't. There's no more pain that I can go through, that I haven't gone through. He said, be patient, pal. You're going to go through some pain. And he meant from the chin up, the emotion, will I, can I, will I make it, can I make it, will I drink, won't I drink. It's terrible. But you can do it, and I've done it. I've done it. I've done what they told me to do, and I made it. I made it a day at a time. After I was sober about three months, I think. I'm not a counter. I still don't count. They said, we're going to give you a few more things to think about. They said, don't compare your life with alcohol with any of the people you've already heard or any of the people you'd be lucky to hear after tonight. And they explained it like this, very simple. They said, you'll hear a guy or a girl get up and say the things that brought them to their first meeting. And you may say, I had more trouble when I was sober. <laughs> and they told me that if I ever walked out of an AA meeting with that kind of negative thinking, I was carrying home a bushel basket full of problems that I couldn't handle. They said, you might hear a guy or a girl get up, tell about the problems that brought them to their first meeting, and you may say, the poor guy, poor girl, oh, the misery, the tragedy they went through. They told me if I carried that out of a meeting without sharing it, it was very negative. They said I had to share them thoughts if I had them because I would carry home a bushel basket full of problems I couldn't handle. And they were right. And I shared. And after a few more months went by, they said we'll give you a few more things to think about. 
They said you got to get completely honest with yourself. You got to get completely honest with your alcoholic problem, and you have to be completely honest with the people who are trying to help you. And if you don't, you won't make it. If you don't, you won't make it. And I listened very carefully to that. And I've done everything they told me to do, and I've done it every day. And you know why I've done it? I wanted to get better. I wanted to get better. Then they told me I couldn't have any reservations. I couldn't have any resentments. I couldn't have any ill feelings towards anybody. They told me I didn't have a right to have them feel. They said if you have all these negative things happening in your life, then you have reservations. And when you have reservations, you get drunk. And it's that simple. Very simple. And I listened, and I listened very carefully, and I've done exactly what they told me to do, and I've done it every day. And you know why I've done it every day? I wanted to get better. And every night they picked me up, and every night we went to a meeting, and I listened the best way I knew how, down front. And once in a while I'd say something. Not much, but say something. Then I knew there comes a time when you know you're getting a little bit better. Now I told you I was a strength and health guy all my life. And that by this time I got a little job as a janitor. Not knocking janitors, but that's what I got as a job. And I saved a few bucks and I bought a set of weights. And I started working out. Now I knew my parents were very important to me and I knew my body was too. And that gave me something to go on. And then I went over to Jimmy the Thief's place over in the South Bend of Boston. I bought a suit for $11. Now let me tell you now, I was a guy who wore tailor-made clothes all my life, wore Cadillac, drove Cadillac cars, diamond rings, made a bushel basket full of money, and I was impressed with that one suit I bought. I was so impressed, that night I went to a meeting and told everybody there that I had just bought a suit over Jimmy the Thief. And you know what made me feel so good about that? I was so honest with my own feelings. I didn't hide nothing. I didn't say, I'm going to save up and buy a $300 suit. I got 11 bucks when I bought the suit in a hot shop. And I was grateful I was able to do it. No gratitude, no way Take it to the bank. I was grateful. And my life went on. Coming up on my first anniversary, they said, you're going to chair your own meeting tonight. I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. But I chaired my own meeting. I had my sponsor and two other guys talk. That's all I did was introduce them. After the meeting, this guy came up to me and he said, Frank, best chairman I ever heard. <laughs> I said, come. I didn't say anything. He said, that's why. <laughs> These are the kind of people I hang around with. So anyway, about a week later, I said to my sponsor, Andy, I said, you know, I got my first anniversary. 
I guys are up there talking. Ninety-five days sober, four months sober, six months sober. You never asked me to say nothing. How come? He said, "Got nothing to say," and he was right. So he said, "But Frank, if you find fault with me, I'll drive you right to the Mattapan State Hospital because you don't find fault with people who are trying to help you." I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to save your sanity. Don't find fault with me. This is before I even think of finding fault. He knows. He knows. He saved my sanity. This guy saved my sanity. Three weeks later, we're down in New Bedford, Mass. He's putting on the meeting. He's chairing the meeting. He's our first speaker, Frank. <laughs> I got this nice blue suit on. He said, "You." I get up. I said, "My name is Frank. I'm an alcoholic. I belong to the Allington Group." Dead silence. Couldn't say another word. I went and I sat down. <laughs> on the way home, he whispers in my ear. He said, "What I tell you? You still got nothing to say." <laughs> About a month later, we were, he was very involved in institutions, and he said, "We're putting on a meeting at the Congress Reformatory, and you're going to be one of the speakers." Me and a guy named Joe Kelly, and I said, "Oh boy!" I says, "What if I pulled what I pulled in New Bedford?" He says, "This time we stand in front of them for 15 minutes." So he called me to talk. I was so scared. Oh, you think I was? I was nervous here tonight. I to ask my wife how nervous I was. I'm nervous all the time until I start talking. <laughs> I get up and I looked out in the audience. I spot a half a dozen guys I know by their first name. <laughs> then it was easy. <laughs> and I ended up by saying something that I know they didn't like, but I liked. And I said, "Then I'm going home tonight." <laughs> From then on, I got active and involved in AA. Active and involved. Went to a lot of meetings. Never done much talking. Went to a, I went to a meetings every night. The first three years I went AA, I guess I went to a thousand meetings. No big thing. No big thing. The reason that I went to a thousand meetings or more the first year, three years I was in AA, I wanted. To get better, I wanted to get better. After I was sober, oh, I don't know, a couple of years, I had no confidence, no confidence at all. I was sober, I was getting better, I was working, my brains were working a little bit better. I wasn't as fearful as I used to be, but no confidence. I walked into a meeting one night. Guy says to me, Frank, he says, I understand you used to be in this business. And I said, Yeah, years ago. He says, Well, I have a fellow here that's in that business, and he's looking for somebody. So he introduced me to the guy. He says, Would you like an interview with my company? I was scared to death. Now, the guy that's scared to death this particular night, I made a bushel basket full of money with my brain. 
I could talk to bank person. I could talk to anyone. And I was, I was so nervous. But I, I blurted it out, yeah. So he set up, he said, I'll set up an appointment. I couldn't wait to get home. I called up my sponsor. I said, you know what happened to me at Chestnut Hill tonight? You know what he said? Somebody probably offered you a good job. <laughs> you believe this guy? <laughs> I answered the, I went and I talked to these people. They offered me a job. I took the job. And I stayed with the company for about 14 years. But afterwards, I saw over three, three and a half years, and I started to get very active in AA. I started to talk a lot at meetings. They were asking me to talk, you know. And one night, this guy came up to me and said, we have a group anniversary in Everett. We'd like you to be the speaker. And I said, you don't need me. If you mean my sponsor, he speaks to all these anniversaries, conventions, not me. No, we want you. I said, I'll have to ask my sponsor. Pay attention. I was sober almost four years. I had to find out from my sponsor if it was good enough for me. Was I ready for this? No big ego on this guy. When I came in before AA, I had an ego as big as the Grand Canyon. I lost it here. I grew up here. I called my sponsor and said, Andy, they want me to speak at an anniversary in Everett, Mass. You know what he said? So what? <laughs> I, I thought he was going to say, Oh, you've arrived. You know, you've made it. He said, you know what an anniversary is? He said, an anniversary is usually a meeting where they serve food. <laughs> That's how simple he kept. But he said, let me tell you this. A lot of people go to conventions. A lot of people go to anniversaries. A lot of people go to different meetings, big meetings, that usually don't go to meetings. So give them help. I said, will you come with me? He said, sure. So he and I and this guy named Joe Kelly were hanging around all the time. We go over. They call me to talk. I get up and I talk. Done what I had to do. And they gave me a big ovation. Oh, jeez, my head side is this big. Loose pumps on my back. I said, wow, you know. So I went and I sat down. And Andy whispers in my ear, don't let it go to your head, Frank. I don't think you were that good. <laughs> that was my sponsor. He saved my sanity. He kept me right where I was supposed to be. And he's the one that told me, you have to go through what you have to go through. You have to get all the pain you're going to have to feel all the pain. You're not going to miss anything. He said, if you are doing what you're supposed to be doing in AA, you, wherever you are is where you're supposed to be. No matter how much it hurts, 
Wherever you are is where you're supposed to be. But he said, the end results are beautiful. I believed him. I listened to him. I done what he told me. And days went on, and weeks went on, months went on, years went on, and Andy died. And I became more active in AA. And everything he told me, I told people who I was fortunate enough to sponsor in AA. You want to get better, you do what I tell you. It works for me, it might work for you. Wherever you are in your life, in AA, if you are sincere and you're doing the best you can, that's where you're supposed to be. There's no double promotions. You have to go through all the pain you have to go through. But one day, it starts to get a little bit easier. And one day, it starts to get a little more easier. And then it becomes a little balance in your life. And then, how glad you are, you're here. They told me, you go to meetings, you go to meetings. I never heard 90 meetings in 90 days. Maybe they said it, but I never heard it. What I did hear was this. You go to meetings, you continue to go to meetings, and you go to meetings until you want to go to meetings. Don't that make a lot of sense? <laughs> then you become comfortable. Then you get some balance in your life. They were right. Always they were right. I never found it necessary to find fault with anyone who was trying to help me. Never. Never found it necessary to find fault with anyone who was trying to help me with my problem. I've done what they told me to do. I shared, I shared the good feelings, I shared the bad feelings. I had bad nights, I shared them. My first year in AA was a nightmare. I had horrors. I, I had nightmares you wouldn't believe. I'd wake up screaming. But every night it happened, the next day, I would share it with whoever picked me up at my house. I'd say, you know what happened to me last night? You know what they used to say to me? You continue to do what you're doing right now. And maybe it'll get better. And I heard it over, over, over. Continue to do what you're doing today and maybe it'll get better tomorrow. But I believe them. That's what saved me. I believed them. And they were right. They were right. I never found it necessary one day in my life in AA to find fault with anyone who was trying to help me. This is why I'm here tonight telling you it works. But you've got to work at it. You don't slide in. You don't slide back. You know... I've been in AA a long time. I've been to thousands of meetings. I've had hundreds of pigeons. And I've run across a lot of very successful people. People who are comfortable, got good balance in their life. Life is nice. My wife and I were talking about this the other night. How many people we know have nice balance in their life? You know who these people are? 
the people who work the program every day. Every day. No pain, no strain, no nothing. Simple. But I have met other people who after they're sober X amount of months or years, they say, I think I'll go Monday and Friday. <laughs> and then there are other people you meet who get a few more candles and a few more cakes, and they say, I think I'll go to my own meeting on Wednesday, and if they need me. And then you find a real idiot. <laughs> who after a certain amount of time in AA, they think they can phone it in. <laughs> it don't work. It don't work. You know, the first ten years that I was speaking in AA, if you wouldn't laugh when I was talking, I'd have got upset. They tell me since I've lived in Florida, which is about nine years, that I've mellowed. I get mellowed. I don't see how, but they say I do, so I believe. I used to be worse than this. <laughs> but AA works if you work at it. And the day you stop working at it, it don't work no more. You can take that to the bank. There's no freebies here. You don't Free ride, nothing. You gotta work it. But then, if you do it right, you get comfortable, and you get some balance in your life, and you get some serenity, and you start to like people, and people start to like you. Try it. It works. It's nice. I thought for the longest time, I'm gonna have problems with this, but I done what they told me to do, and I done it every day. There was a time when I used to have all these bad nightmares I told you about. So one night, they would drop me off and my sponsor said to me, he said, Frank, if you have another one of them bad nights, do what I used to do. Pray. They drove away. A couple of nights later, I'm, I'm going through a bad time. Bad, bad time. I'm not asleep, I'm awake. Bad time. I get on my knees. Now, I could talk to five days here, and I talk, I'd never talk about God or prayer or the 12 steps. You know, you come into AA, you do what you're supposed to do, and all these things will happen to you. I don't have to tell you that. I can tell you that you can't drink and you've got to work this program. But this night, it happened. And I get on my knees. Now, I'm an Irish Catholic. I was an altar boy for 12 years, so I knew all the prayers. All the prayers you want, I knew them. But this night, in fear, I get on my knees and I said, Dear God, I'm trying to do something with my life. Give me a break. That was the first formal prayer I said in AA. No flashes of lightning, no big thing happened, but I did sleep that night. And every night since, many, many years have gone by, I get on my knees before I go to bed, and I ask the power behind the program of Alcoholics Anonymous to help me with my alcoholic problem. I have never missed a night 
never missed night, never found it necessary to say, oh, I forgot. That's me. Work on it if it's not you. It works. Every day I get up, I get on my knees, and I ask the power behind the program of Alcoholics Anonymous to help me with my alcoholic problem. Let me do something that's right today. <coughs> I get up, I do that. My wife and I have coffee. She goes to work, I go to work. Life is good. I wait for her to come home. She waits for me to come home. We associate with successful people in AA. We go to AA meetings. We're involved in AA. Life is very, very good. I never found it necessary from when my brain started clear up to change any of the rules. People say there's no rules in AA. I got rules for you. <laughs> I got rules for you. You may not think they're rules, but they're, you better. You better. And I've been doing it. I do it every single day. I am the most happy, contented guy that's ever stood on this platform. Remember, I said it. I am a very happy, contented guy, and I owe every single bit of alcoholic phenomenon to the change in my pocket, to the clothes on my back. If you don't think you do, you probably get here one drink before you lost it all. Remember that. Let me I'll remind you something. Somebody might be fooling around with the program. There isn't a person in this room, there isn't a person in New York, there isn't a person in Florida that can tell me what will happen to them if they take another drink of alcohol. You don't know where you're going to go, what it'll do when you get there how it will affect you mentally or physically, or if you'll ever have another day of sanity. Remember, you heard it right here. You don't know where you're going to go, what you'll do when you get there, how it will affect you mentally or physically, or if you'll ever have another day of sanity. I've had a lot of people say to me, I came in here, I had two cars in the garage, I had a nice job, I had 20 suits, No one in this room had more respect for themselves than I did before I took that one drink that put me on the drunk that I couldn't get off. That tore me right down on my hands and knees and it made a nothing happen. It took my brain, it scrambled them like jelly. I can remember one night I was in Skid Row and I had enough money to get a flock 55 cents in an all night movie. But before I went in, I had two bottles of Muscatel wine, 85 cents a bottle. My friend and I went in. About an hour into the movie, he passes out on me, and I'm sitting there. Now, I had been in this movie many times, but this night I started to smell the place. I could smell it. It was rotten, it was filthy, and so was I. And I looked around, I said, dear God, what am I doing here? But like the act of Alfie, who's a coward, and I was one, I couldn't take that kind of pain, so I picked up the bottle of wine, 85 cents, and before I had it finished, I was enjoying a cowboy movie. 
That's how powerful alcohol is. Destroys your brain. It destroys your brain. And if you don't think it can, maybe you should check yourself in somewhere tonight. Alcohol will destroy everyone in this room who thinks they can drink again. It'll take your health, your wealth, your sanity, your freedom, your dignity, self-respect. Walk into a bar, and before you order the drink, put it all on the bar, because that's what it's going to cost you. Whether you like it or not, that's what it'll cost you. And most of all, it'll cost you your sanity, and you may never, never have an opportunity to sit in an AA meeting again. I didn't make that up. I've been involved in institutions and prisons for many, many years in AA. And I see people sitting out at meetings in the prison who sat at meetings on the street and refused to believe it could happen. That they, it's just... I get sick to my stomach when I see people say, it won't happen to me. I'm in control. If you're in control of your life, you wouldn't have been in this meeting tonight. If you're in control of your life, you wouldn't have come to the first day of the meeting. You're here, you're looking for help. In order to get the help, you've got to get complete surrender. Here I am. I'm lost. Find me. The people in AA will help you, but you've got to let them help you. You can't piecemeal it. You can't do it your way. Your way is out. My way was out. I've, I've done everything a guy would ever want to do in his life. I lived in a dressed up jungle where there was no fear. When I got in AA, I knew. They told me, complete and total surrender, and maybe you've got a chance. I believed them. They were right, and it worked. And it worked. And it's been working every day since. My life is good. The people I hang around with, their life is good. We're reasonably contented, happy people. You know, people say, I'm not a ha-ha guy. I'm a ha-ha guy. My life is good. A lot of wonderful things have happened to me. You know... I started to make a little progress. I had this job I saw you for 14 years, but about seven years into the job, I bought a nice house in Melrose, Mass. You know, way out of my character, nice, beautiful, suburban neighborhood, I deserved it. I was a nice guy. I deserved to have nice things. Then, Maybe six, seven, eight years later, I bought a hotel in New Hampshire. Life was coming along pretty good. I'm telling you about material things because I don't know if they're going to happen to you. You may stay in the same job for 50 years. But these things happened to me because I was sober in AA. I'd done what I was supposed to do in AA. The opportunities came and I took them. I get rid of the hotel in New Hampshire, I went to Florida. I was in Florida a couple of weeks, I joined a group. 
I got active in the growth. And things were good. My life was good. Everything was good. If nothing more happened to me in my life, I would have been the most fortunate guy that ever came to an AA meeting. But better things would have happened. Can you believe? Better things were happening. I was chairing a meeting. I was about to chair a meeting in Lago on a Sunday night. I looked out in the audience. I seen this beautiful blonde. And I said, wow. <laughs> They've got to meet her. <laughs> so before I started the meeting, I walked over. I introduced myself. I found Frank. She found Bobby. We talked. That following Friday was my anniversary. I invited her to my anniversary. At our anniversary down there, we have eating meetings and all that good stuff. And I was going to be the speaker. After the meeting, she came. And after the meeting, she said to me, I didn't know what you I didn't know what you were going to say, but I knew what you were going to say, but I just didn't know how you were going to say it. And I kind of looked at her funny. I said, okay. <laughs> that Sunday, two days later, I was to see a woman who was in the hospital with uh, cancer, who was an AA. So I said, if you'd like to come with me to the hospital to visit this woman in AA, I'll take you out for Chinese dinner. And she said, fine. So we went and we seen this woman in the hospital. And that night, we went out to Chinese dinner. And that night, we walked on the beach. That's kind of romantic, huh? <laughs> and the next night, she came to my house for dinner. And we've been having dinner every night since. <laughs> we went together for a year. And she said to me one night, Would you like to get married? And I said, That's a great idea. <laughs> And we were married. We were married two years and two months. It's a lovely lady sitting over here. I thought that I had got it all. And my life was complete. And I was really involved in AA. And I was a happy, contented guy. She has made my life that more complete. I'm a very, very happy, contented guy. Every night, including tonight, she'll be on one side of the bed, I'll be on the other. We'll thank the power behind the program of AA for another good day in AA, another good day in life, and I'll thank the higher power for her. And my life is good, and her life is good. These aren't words. We're in action. We really enjoy ourselves. We had a nice flight here. We got a nice motel. Things go right tonight. We might make love. <laughs> I'm right down here. <laughs> I say it just like it is. 
I talked to a guy the other day who's having a bushel basket full of guilt in his life. And I said, what a nice feeling it is to wake up in the morning and St. Pete Times is on your lawn, you pick it up, and you don't like stories on the front page, and it makes good reading. He can't do that. I can. Can you? AA will work if you let it work. I had a vision one time. I rushed him into the city hospital in Boston, a very wealthy guy, he's got money like in the millions. At that particular time, I was a chef at the Boston College, I was making 90 bucks a week. That really has nothing to do with it, but this guy was a millionaire, very influential guy, all kinds of degrees, big man. We rushed him into the hospital. They said that we saved his life, he was believing internally. The point is this, they saved his life, they put him in the Alfie Ward. And then all his very influential friends came and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I went to see him in the hospital, I brought him a big book. He thanked me for saving his life. I said, I'll pick you up, when you get released, I'll take you to an AA meeting, like they did to me. Fine. We went to meetings for about six months. And he was getting better. He was getting a little bit better. He knew where he lived. He knew his practice. He was a lawyer. He knew all. He started to get together. Then one night, he said, Frank, you're a great guy. Anything I could ever do for you, you let me know. He says, but these meetings you're taking me to. I take him down to Skid Row, the South End. I mean, I used to take him to meetings where half the guys in the room had pint bottles in their pocket. He said, they're not my type. I said, what? I said, everyone in this room is your type. We're all here with an alcoholic problem. I don't care if you come from Maine or where you come from, Yale or Jail or Harvard. Everyone in this room with an alcoholic problem is the same type. There's only one big book. It's for the young, the old, the rich, the poor, the boys, the girls, lawyers, doctors, butchers, bakers. One big book. And if you don't think so, you've got big problems. They didn't make books for boys, and they didn't make books for girls, and they didn't make books for old people and young people, and rich people and poor people. One big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. It's for you, it's for me. And we better work this program the exact same way. Everyone in this room is my type. You got an alcoholic problem, I got an alcoholic problem. We're even. I work at the best way I know how. You work at the best way you know how. We're still even. If you don't think I'm your type, you got a problem. If I don't think you're my type, I got a problem. No rules for anyone. The same rules for everyone. There's only one big book. And it's for all. He wouldn't listen. He said, not my type. He wasn't listening. This guy, all his brains, all his plaques on the walls, all the money he had, he couldn't get it through his head. 
You're an alcoholic first. Everything else is second. You don't have a second unless you admit you're an alcoholic. There's no second. It has to be the number one thing in your life, the number one thing in my life. What are we going to do about it? If we don't make it number one, we don't have a number two. He refused to believe that. He didn't want to know that I was, he didn't want me to know he was drinking, so he went to Miami and broke up. There's a sick guy from Boston, Miami to break up. He ended up in a drying out place in Connecticut and he died. I'll bet you my right arm up to the shoulder blade. If he was to walk through that door tonight, he'd do everything he could to stay sober in AA. He don't have that opportunity. But you and I do.